Welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat, hosted by Donna Blevins, the big girl of poker at six feet five inches tall. This is not your average poker podcast. Donna and her guests talk about poker in a way you've never heard before. Listen in and learn about how to play the game and how to win at life. Find show notes for this show and more great content on the blog at BigGirlPoker.com. And now, Donna Blevins. Hi, this is Donna Blevins, and welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat. Responding to what listeners have told me, I have a treat for you today. We're going to focus on how to make money in small stakes, no limit, Texas Hold'em cash games. Now, that should perk your interest and make you drool. But first, I'd like to remind you about the Bravo Poker Live app. This real-time responsive app makes it a breeze to check out the current live action and tournaments in your local card rooms. How it works is frankly magic to me. It, It links directly to that Bravo Poker Room management system where you sign up in the poker room and your name goes up on a board. And on your desktop computer or on your mobile device, it shows you what games are being spread, and even how many people are on the waiting list right now at this moment. Frankly, any serious poker player simply must use this app. And you can download it on your desktop from Bravo Poker Live. You can go to iTunes, or you can just search for Bravo Poker Live in your app store. Today I've got a guest with me who is, well, she's flying under the radar. Even though she's not yet well-known, I believe this is by her own choice. When I played with her during a recent card player cruise, I was struck by her command of the table during a small stakes, no limit, Texas Hold'em cash game, and I knew I had to share her with you. She's been an instructor for WPT Boot Camp and teaches the beginner's classes on card player cruises, and frankly... She schools a lot of the people who actually go on the cruises, whether they know it or not. (laughs) She is Randy Levenbaum. She's a poker professional and a poker coach with a background as a financial advisor. Randy knows how to get the most out of her bankroll at the poker table, and I'm hoping to coax some of her secrets out of her today for you. Randy Tanner, see, I knew it was going to do it wrong, Randy. Randy Levenbaum, thank you for coming on the show today, and thank you in advance for sharing your poker wisdom. Thank you for having me, Donna. I'm really pleased to be here. Um, I love being able to talk about poker in general. I love to talk about how to work on improving your own poker game, and um, I'm really thankful that we're going to get this opportunity to share some of that with your listeners today. Oh, that's great. Randy, how have you seen poker change over the last 10 years? Wow. Poker has changed a lot. Um, The amount of information available freely is just enormous and very widespread. That being said, some of it's really good information. Some of it, not so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, The style of play has changed in both cash games and tournaments. And it's something that's not going to be stopping anytime soon. That's part of poker is it's always going to be evolving. And so you're never going to be on top of the game. It's always changing, so you're always going to have to be changing with it. 
So you think that to be a winning poker player consistently, it's like being in any profession, is you have to t- keep up your continuing education. Absolutely. Um, especially for newer players, I think that if you're not spending just as much time away from the table working on your game as you are at the table, you're going to be falling uh, behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that is so true. I know that when my husband and I had a real estate company, we had we had a real estate brokerage for about 20 years, and between us we had over 250, get that, 250, 250 home study courses, and each one of those home study courses had at least six hours of audio tapes. And we both had listened, to, we combined, granted that we combined our libraries when we got together, so... So, you know, he had some that that I had never seen before, and I had some that he had not seen before. And we have both had listened to every one of those at least once and oftentimes several times. Now, what I found is that every time I went over them, it triggered something else. And that's one of the things that I want to really recommend to my podcast listeners is to listen to these podcasts over and over again because you will hear different things or, or, or something else will be triggered. That That's very true. You you can't just learn a piece of material once and think that you're done with it. Um, based on the progress that you make, things are going to take on different importance and they're going to be uh, illuminated to you. All of a sudden, the light bulb's going to go on and you're going to have that aha moment. And it's going to be a wonderful thing when that happens. It sure is. Besides keeping up with with the changes in the game by keeping up your education, what else do you think poker players might do to keep up with these changes in the game? I think that it's really important to surround yourself with some people that you can discuss the game with on a meaningful level. Um, here in Las Vegas, we're very fortunate in that we have – I say tongue-in-cheek, the world-famous Wednesday Poker Discussion Group. It is, it is. is. I've been there, I've been there. It's great. (laughs) It it is pretty, getting to be pretty, quote, world-famous. And um, the good thing about that is people have come and gone from the group over the years, but the group continues on. And it's a wonderful place to meet on a regular weekly basis. And people of all abilities and even playing different games. Not everybody's playing No Limit Hold'em. Some people are playing Limit Hold'em and Omaha and tournament poker and cash poker, online poker, live poker. But we all come together and discuss the game. We have speakers come in, uh, authors come in and talk about their books. We discuss articles. We discuss hands that have been played both live and online during the week. And that's where you're going to stimulate a lot of new ideas and be able to discuss things on an interactive basis rather than just viewing a video or reading a book. You don't get that interaction unless you have a a group of people to discuss things with. Uh, You're absolutely correct. I I know that with my elite coaching program, I have a private Facebook group. I'm trying to figure out the name for it one day, and I said, Donna's Poker Family. That's what I'm going to call it. And that's where we can go in and do just that. You know, it's nice with Facebook and with the Internet. I mean, goodness gracious, with technology today, the, the first... The the first time I took my training online was in 2010. I really didn't know, you know, didn't know exactly how to do it, but I ended up with 
gosh, I had I had uh, people from uh, the United States. I had people from Germany. I had uh, people from California, Florida, uh, Virginia, and and Europe. I mean, it was wonderful, all in one location. And that's what's really great today about technology. I know that you use technology in your coaching to be able to connect with people as well. I do. It's been amazing that I can work with people in across the U.S. as well as uh, have a couple in Canada. And there's nowhere in the world, as long as there's an Internet connection, that we can't be effective working in real time where we can share a computer screen, we can share conversation back and forth, we can play software interactively, and all that is really conducive to improving your game. Yeah, you know, and some people might say, well, my goodness, now you're a poker coach. What in the world are you doing here promoting another poker coach? Well, gosh, if, you know, when McDonald's goes or Burger King goes into a town to look for a place to locate their their new store, they're going to find out where McDonald's is and, and put them right there on the, the street across from them. So I, I believe that when we as poker coaches work together, we actually can be better for for our coaching clients, we can be better for each other because there's people that are going to come to me that will be a better fit for you and people that come to you that are a better fit for me. So I, I really am promoting you today as a poker coach. So what I want to do is find out today what is your objective or underlying philosophy when you coach poker. I think it's really important to have an underlying philosophy. And for me, the philosophy the philosophy behind each of my coaching sessions is to really improve the way one thinks about poker. It really doesn't do any good for me to just tell you what to do. It's about helping you understand the why so that you can arrive at correct, well-thought-out decisions on your own, having some fundamentals to fall back on, having a framework to work through the problems. So, I want to give you solutions about how to solve problems going forward, not just tell you what to do. That's absolutely brilliant, and I agree with that because that's the way I do my coaching as well. You know, it's not just tell people. As a matter of fact, people learn in three ways. You know, they learn visually. They learn. There's some visual learners. There's auditory learners, and then there's kinesthetic learners that need to touch and feel and do. And that's one of the reasons that poker is such an exciting. It's such an exciting game because you're doing all those things with the game. You're looking at it, you're listening, and you're touching and feeling and doing. And I think that when you have your your coaching and you deal with all those same things as well, that you're able to have more of an impact with your coaching clients. I absolutely agree with you. I love it when we agree. Isn't that fun? (laughs) This is going to be a mutual admiration society today. I love it. You know, on one of my sites, PokerMindsetAcademy.com, I give away a free audio training plus transcripts when I talk about the three biggest holes in most poker players' games, game and how you as a, a player can plug those holes. But I know that you... You know that that you have some ideas about what you believe the biggest mistakes that you see pl- players make, specifically in small stakes, by, small stakes, no limit hold'em cash games. What are those mistakes? I think the biggest mistakes and the, the trouble that people get into is almost always pre-flop. If you can make better pre-flop decisions, you're going to have an easier time 
all the way through the hand, and you shouldn't be then facing tough decisions on each subsequent street. So one of the biggest mistakes I see are players just seeing too many flops, and they're almost always doing it by just calling pre-flop. They're not raising. They're not re-raising. They're just calling and being very reactive. And uh, poker doesn't reward that kind of play. Another thing is I routinely see players make betting mistakes that result in their winning the minimum and losing the maximum amount of money. And this usually occurs on the flop or whenever scare cards come out or potential scare cards. And the third mistake I see over and over is players that just don't take into account the impact of their chips, their stack sizes, and the way that it relates to their opponent's stack sizes. This is a crucial mistake, and most people don't even know they're making it. Okay, let's go back to the second one, when you were talking about scare cards. Now, many people understand what that scare card means, but why don't you explain in your words what you mean by scare card? So let's say, for example, you get to the flop and you have ace-king, and... It's king high on the flop, and you have top pair with your pair of kings with an ace kicker. But the other two cards are a suit that doesn't match yours. There might be two hearts. Well, you're afraid and you're scared that someone's going to be drawing to the flush and they're going to get there. And so you're going to make a big bet with your top pair, single pair, to, quote, protect your hand from them getting their uh, flush. And what that's going to do is chase out people. We don't want people to fold when they're drawing to a flush. What we want to do is have them draw to the flush, either missing it or taking a bad price to do it. So the object of poker is not to make your opponents fold. You're not going to get any value that way. The object is to offer them a bad price so that the times that they do hit their flush, they actually lose money. And the times that they don't hit their flush, you get value from your hand. I want you to go more into what explaining what giving someone a bad price means. Okay, so... Poker is basically a mathematical game. There's a fixed number of cards in the deck, and there's certain combinations that you can make winning poker hands. And everybody's seen that uh, card when you first started playing about the ranking of poker hands and what beats what. And at the bottom of that card is something like top or uh, high card or ace mm-hmm. high, and it goes pairs all the way up to royal flushes. When you have hands like one pair, in relation to all the possible winning hands, that's not that strong a hand. So people that want to protect their hands when they have a pair, because people are drawing to hands that are going to be above that pair on that ranking of card uh, list, Mm -hmm. so they're drawing to things like straights and flushes most likely, is... There's a fixed number of cards left in the deck that are going to improve people's hands to straights and flushes. And, for example, if someone's drawing to a flush on the flop, 
they're going to make it about one out of four times, I'm sorry, one out of five times on the next card, which is approximately a 20% chance. If I bet half the pot, I offer you three to one odds on a, on a spot where you need to be getting four to one. If you went to any other casino game, which is why the casinos make money, if they give you odds that are smaller than the true odds of an event happening. When you bet, that's what you're doing. You're, you're the casino. You're setting the price. So you want to set a bad price for your opponents to take so that when they get there and they, quote, win, they're actually losing, just like the rest of us are in pit games in the casino. When we hit that number on roulette and we, quote, win, we lose money because we can't do this indefinitely. The house has the favor with the odds. And when we bet, we should be doing the same thing the casino's doing. So what you're saying is that we must know several things. First of all, we must know when we're betting how much to bet into that pot to make it a smart bet for us and to give somebody a bad price, which means that we have to know what's in the pot, which is something that many people disregard. We have to know what's in the pot. If somebody's betting and we're thinking about calling, we have to know what's in the pot. We have to know our, our odds of making our hand. We have to know our pot odds, and it has to be something intuitive. We have to understand pot odds intuitively, and I believe that that's one of the biggest holes. I mean, I have to admit, that was the biggest hole in my poker game for many years, Randy. I was very resistant to learning it because every time I started to learn it, I tried to look at what was put out there, and, and I just went blank. You know, I'm going, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm smart. You know, I thought, well, I'm smart. You know, I can understand things. I was good in math, but for some reason, the way that it was explained just really drove me nuts. And that's one of the reasons that I created a free giveaway on BigGirlPoker.com. I've got a pot odds mini course up there that anyone can get by going and putting their name into the upper right-hand corner. It says, yeah, give me a free pot odds mini course that comes to you over a week because people need to understand that intuitively. And frankly, in order for me to understand it, I had to boil it down to really simple ABCs because you know what I figured out? Pot odds are not rocket science. They're not rocket science. And to tell you the truth, it's it's kind of funny. I'm a financial advisor. I understand money. But I'm not an especially a whiz at math. I have to work at it. I had to go through the same processes that everybody else does and figure it out. But once you figure it out and you learn some of the shortcuts, it's really not that difficult. And there's very few hands that you really need to memorize. I mean, you're either drawing to straights or flushes almost all the time, and they occur over and over and over again. So if you learn just the math on straights and flushes, you're going to know about two-thirds of the math you need to know in all of poker. Isn't that fun? It's really pretty simple game. And, and people tend to make it difficult, but I think we have to really look at the basics. And, and I really want to encourage people to really understand that. And what you've just said is just, it is, is so clear. Because, you know, I, I love poker pure and simple. And you know, when you realize what the math is, it's really going to help your game. I have to say, though, when I sat at the same table with you, I was so impressed with how you raised and the confidence that seemed to just seep out of your pores when you raised. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sitting there going, wow, this woman knows what she is doing. 
When you're going to raise, how do you know how much to raise? Uh, I appreciate what you said about my image at the table, and it's something I actually work very hard on, and I really try to instill that same uh, exterior that my students will take to the table so that when they face their opponents, they're going to receive that same reaction. So when I decide to raise, the thing I'm doing is I'm thinking ahead about the kind of result I want. Most commonly, when people raise preflop, it's typically because they have a one-pair type of hand or a hand that will likely show the most profit by either winning the pot right now or at least narrowing the field to two opponents or less for their post-flop play. So if you look at hands that typically get raised pre-flop, it's pocket pairs, uh, big cards, sometimes suited connectors, sometimes uh, a few other things, but by and large, those are the types of hands that people raise with pre-flop. And uh, consequently, those same hands play really well post-flop against two opponents or less. Well, the way you get two opponents or less is to raise an amount that's going to result in that almost all the time. So I need to pick a raise size that has a high probability of getting that result. And I call this the effective raise. So disregard the amount that your opponents are raising in the game, especially if the result of their raise is too often three opponents or more going to the flop with them. You need to come up with a raise size that will get you the result that you want. This is not going to be a static raise size. You're going to need to adjust it based on the number of people entering the pot before it's your turn to act. You're going to need to change it based on your position. You're going to need to change it based on table dynamics as people win and lose and leave and enter the game and get emotional about what's going on. But do not change your raise size based on the strength of your hand. I either get, have a hand where I need to have two opponents or less, or I don't. It doesn't matter what my specific cards are. I love that. That, that, is, that is right on. And when you're thinking about that image, your image was just fantastic. And, you know, my, and it has to do with... with our image has to do with, with tells or what we're throwing off. And my coaching clients tell me that some of their favorite training modules in my elite coaching program are, are on tells. But how big a part does picking up on your opponent's tells factor into your game, Randy? I, I believe strongly that the biggest tells in poker are betting pattern tells. Mm -hmm. Betting pattern tells can be picked up by playing both live and online quite easily. Many people think about tells as physical, watching the other person. But those kinds of tells are actually pretty insignificant in your decision-making. The betting pattern tells are the key to hand recognition. A player's previous actions and how they're currently betting help you narrow their range of possible holdings. And it's quite common to see certain betting patterns over and over. My opponents are essentially handing me crucial information about their hand. It's very common to see opponents make bigger raises with their stronger hands, smaller raises with their weaker hands. Post-flop, you see weak bets, and I count weak bets as I'm comparing them uh, to the pot size. So they're, as a percentage of the pot size, they're making them smaller and smaller. 
So, so what, what's, have, what's, a, what's a weak bet in relationship to a pot size percentage-wise? So especially anything less than, say, 40% of the pot mm-hmm. is a weak bet. Good. And people make these weak bets when they're on a draw, uh, when they're trying to keep you from betting bigger, so they're doing as a blocking mechanism. So they're, they're defensive moods. They're not showing strength. So when you see weak bets, you don't necessarily have to have a strong hand. They're telling you they're weak. If you show strength, it's going to be very difficult for them to continue. To prevent being read myself, I choose to play different hands the same way. You one sure example, do. <laughs> one example is that I nearly always raise with premium cards, mm-hmm. but I sometimes also raise with other types of hands like suited connectors. So my opponents don't know what I have because I always take the same action and use consistent betting. You sure do. <laughs> you sure do, and I could not. For the life of me, I could not pick up a deviation in your image, your betting, your betting was stellar. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely stellar. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on here because the fact that you were probably the most difficult person to read at the table that I've ever experienced in a long time. I, I appreciate that. I think that's one of the things that you can do to improve your games, and it, it just drives your opponents nuts. So you have to remember that the biggest tells in poker are not shaky hands and darting eyes and heavy breathing and people moving closer and farther away from the table. The biggest tells aren't really physical at all. Pay attention to the betting patterns. They are not tricky. People aren't being tricky with their betting the vast majority of the time. Take them at face value. Start seeing when when they make certain size bets and the cards get turned over at the end of the hand, correlate those weak bets to their holdings and see if that isn't true. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what's an area of poker that players don't usually pay enough attention to? I don't think players pay enough attention to the mental side of poker. Specifically, I think developing mental toughness, learning to stay focused for extended periods of time, and learning to process all the information that can be observed. Uh, I don't think they know how to use self-talk and self-monitoring to help them determine when it's time to stay and when it's time to take a break or leave. So these are things that you're not going to read about in poker books. These are things, there's there's maybe a couple of them out there that talk about this, but if you took a look at sports psychology and elite athletes, they will, this is what sets elite athletes apart from average athletes. Yeah, and I agree with you 100% because one of the reasons why my title, Poker Mindset Coach, evolved was my poker coaching client said, well, Donna, you're something other than a poker coach. And I'm going, oh, oh, what is that? And they're the ones that came up with Poker Mindset Coach because I deal a tremendous amount with that mental side of of poker because what I believe is that the words we use, the words that come out of our mouth, set us up for either success or failure because they're clues to what we're really believing and thinking. And our subconscious, our our mind, drives us in relationship to how we bet, how we feel, how we how we sit at the poker table, whether we can take a uh, you know can take a, a 
a loss or a win and how we take losses and wins because how we take both losses and wins will determine how we advance in our poker game. That's very true. Well, now, thinking about a winning cash game player, what are some of his or her characteristics since we're talking about winning? Well, in my opinion, and based on working with a number of people over the years and observing successful people, not just in poker, but in other uh, areas of uh, their expertise, I think that critical characteristics for successful cash game players are that they have to be mentally tough. I just can't overstate how important that is. Um, Other characteristics I think are critical for long-term success are discipline and very strong emotional control. And I include things like bankroll management and good record-keeping under discipline. Many people can learn to play poker fundamentally sound. And plenty of people are very smart, but very few have or develop the critical characteristics it needs to be successful for long periods of time. I think you've hit a a big key there, Randy, because the the discipline in the bankroll management and record-keeping is, you know, you're a financial analyst, and that is what you need. People say, well, I'm, I'm a winning poker player, and I said, prove it to me. You know, show me what's happened to you over the past 12 months in your poker. Well, you know, I, I pretty much won. I said, show me the numbers. And they're going, well, what do you mean? I said, show me your records of what, what happened with you and what your sessions were and how long you played and, and what were the games you played. And they're going, well, well, I don't keep that. And that's one of the first things that I work with my co- poker coaching clients is to insist that they become serious record keepers. And that is so vital because... If you don't have those records, you don't have the vaguest idea because our memories tend to fade. And we we are delusional when we think back as to how we played. But the numbers, the numbers tell us the real truth. That's exactly right. You're talking about bankroll management. What clues and keys can you give to our listeners about bankroll management? Well, there's kind of... Uh, couple ways to look at it. If you're a recreational player and and this is your form of recreation and it's the same as if you went out to dinner, you went to a show, you went to the movies, then you have a budget for your recreation. And as long as you have set aside a budget that's not going to impact the rest of your life in a negative manner, go out, enjoy yourself, have a good time. But if you're doing this to actually make money, then because of the math of the game and the fluctuations and variance that is just part of the game that you're just going to have to deal with, that you need to have a a bankroll set aside so that you're not dipping into funds that you allocate for other parts of your life. So ideally, I'd like to see people have about 25 buy-ins so when you come to the table, if you're going to play one two-no limit and you buy in for $300, $300 times 25 is what you're striving to have so that you can comfortably make the decisions you need to make so they're correct and not worry about the fluctuations for one or two or even ten sessions because they're going to be extreme at times and that's why we need a bankroll. Okay, so you're saying that if your buy-in is going to be $300, 
for your your one two cash game. One two null limit cash game. Then what you want to have is about seventy five hundred dollars in your bankroll. That that would be a and and that has to be if you're a winning player. You have to be a winning player. If you're a losing player, you have a big enough bankroll. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. But if you're a winning player because of the variation in the game, I believe that approximately 25 buy-ins uh, should get you through the ups and downs that are just a normal and natural part of the game. Yeah, and why that is is because of the fact that you're going to play when you play correctly all the time, you're going to lose money. Because it happens. People are going to draw out on you. You want them to draw on you because that's how you, you want them to draw because that, that's how you make money is when people draw and put money in when you've got the best of it. And you mm-hmm. want them to be there. So you've got to be able to deal with those swings without having this mental, this emotional, this mindset challenge of feeling lack. Of that's, feeling, that's exactly right. You have to understand that Poker, bankroll, when it, when you buy your chips and you put them on their table, it's not money anymore. You're running a business, and that's your working capital that you need to function in your business. Now, because you have 25 buy-ins in your entire bankroll, I'm not suggesting that you buy, bring that to the casino with you when you go play. Mm-hmm. You only need to bring three buy-ins with you, and I suggest a minimum of three. Not because I expect you to put three buy-ins on the table, but psychologically – you need to know that you can make correct decisions, and no matter what happens, you can play the next hand if you choose to. That's right. And that confidence of having that bankroll in your pocket is important, but it's also important to use the discipline of saying, I'm going to take three bankrolls with me, three buy-ins mm-hmm. with me, and and that's what I'm going to take with me, and that's what it's going to be. That's that's really important. And, and you know, when we're, we're talking about mindset – Besides helping players plug holes in their games, I do specializing teach, teaching them how to shift their mindset like I've talked about. But specifically, what advice do you have for players to help them handle one of the biggest tilt monsters? And that's what, that's what people call a bad beat. Well, it's going to seem really silly at first. But truthfully, if you think about it, you really need to internalize and learn to embrace those bad beats. Yes, embrace true bad beats. Remember that bad beats happen to players. They happen to winning players. The better player you become, the more bad beats you should expect to see because you are nearly always going to be the favorite in any given situation. But remember, every time you lose a hand, it doesn't mean you took a bad beat. Think about what you did to contribute to the situation. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You make a bet giving your opponent the correct odds to call and then complain because they did call and got there. You created the situation for them to do that. Don't cry about a bad beat now. But I do want to give you a couple of situations to give you some perspective. Good. If you get all the money in pre-flop holding your pocket aces, and your opponent calls you holding pocket kings, you are mathematically supposed to lose nearly one out of five times. So is that a bad beat? Really? It's supposed to happen fairly frequently, nearly 20% of the time. 
How about if you get all the money in pre-flop and you're holding pocket aces and your opponent decides to go crazy and call you with 8-3 offsuit? You're still mathematically supposed to lose more than one out of ten times. So be really about labeling all these uh, pots you lose as bad beats. Because before you start whining about these bad beats, you really need to go back and learn the math. And you'll often find that you take far fewer, quote, bad beats than you think you do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, that is absolutely the truth. One of the things, I love the whining. You're talking about the whining because one of the things in my coaching program is I say I want, you know, I create a safe place where it's guilt-free, judgment-free, and blame-free because I want people to be able to talk about anything about their hands without having the feeling that somebody's going to judge them. You know, if you screw up, you screw up. Let's talk about what you can learn from that. But I also ask my coaching clients to come in and and leave the whining at the door because it's a whine-free zone. And I don't want to hear anybody talk about getting a bad beat because most of the time it wasn't a bad beat. Most of the time they were most of the time they were in a hand that they had no business being in a hand because are they allowed people to stay in the hand without making it cost giving the people the wrong price to stay in the hand. So bad beats are the word bad beat is used way too often in poker. I agree. You know, there's so many small stakes, no limit cash games going in in most poker rooms. How does a player deal with game selection and these these multiple games? How do they deal with game selection? How's that play? So, I I think game so the importance of game selection is usually under-emphasized, and I think it's done to the detriment of your profitability. Game selection is a very important aspect of being profitable in poker. I'd rather be an average player playing with worse opponents than being the 10th best player in the world playing with the top nine players in the world. That sucks, doesn't it? just doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So game selection is crucial, and... You know, if you're in a familiar room that you play in often, you're going to know at least a few of the players. You're going to have some experience with them. So you're going to know the players you want to be involved with, and you want to know what position at the table you want to be in relation to those players based on their uh, styles and characteristics. If you don't know a room and you're having to make some judgments off, you know, as you're just getting started, uh, for me... Uh, if I have a choice of more than one game, I want to walk around games that I have a choice to be uh, playing in. Mm-hmm. Just because I get seated at player at table one doesn't mean I can't immediately ask for a transfer to play to game at table two or table three. Okay, so now what, what about what what about that other game is going to make you want to be there? What do you see when you're walking around? So one of the things I look around is is the amount of money on the table. If they're all playing short stacks, I can't win much because it doesn't matter if I buy in for $300 if they're all playing $60. The most I can win from them is $60. So there has to be enough money on the table for me to make some money. People that are playing small stacks can't make big mistakes. They don't have enough money to make big mistakes. So I want to be able to be in a situation where my opponents can make big mistakes. That's how I'm going to make money. The other things I'm going to look at is, is as politically correct or incorrect as it may be, you're going to have to do some profiling. I mean, by and large, younger 
people are probably, uh, on average, going to be more students of the game and have played a lot more hands. Older people tend to play more conservatively and straightforward. And so you've got to start with some baseline assumptions. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't observe what's going on and radically change those based on the information that you see in front of you. But look for, if you like to play in a wild game, I'm probably going to choose people that are tend to be younger. If I like to play in a more conservative game, I'm probably going to choose a table where players tend to be older. Um, I'm going to see if people are talking at the table. If they're laughing and having a good time, that's a really good table for me to be at because they're probably recreational players. They're very quiet and they got their headphones in. They're serious and they're focused on what they're doing. That's probably really bad for me. So mm-hmm. those are a few of the things that you can look at just at, off the top of your head. And don't be afraid to look at the other tables as your session goes on. I am known for changing tables multiple times in even a three- and four-hour poker session. If I'm at a game that's good and I see a game at another table that's better, why wouldn't I move to a game that's better and more profitable for me? That just makes sense. I, I, I love that. That's one of the things that I, that I talk about continually with my coaching clients, and I'm so glad that that you brought it up about walking and looking at the tables and looking at how much money's there. Now, how do you feel about a table that has a lot of money on it, and you're going to buy in for three hundred? Let's say it's you know the stacks are really really big. Does that give you any pause? Uh, it gives many people pause, and I think incorrectly, for the uh, point I was making earlier. If I'm the short stack at the table, the most they can win from me is what I buy in for. That's what are called effective stacks. That's effectively what we're playing for. If we get head up and you have $10,000 and I have 300 the most I can win is 300 from you, and the most you can win from me is 300 so it doesn't matter if you have 10000 in front of you or 300 in front of you. We're both playing for $300 here. That's wonderful, counsel. There's a game that I really like to be in. It's an Omaha, it's, and I know we're talking about low, low stakes, low, low stakes, no limit, hold them today, but you just really taught me something, and that had to do with there is a game, there's an Omaha Parliament Omaha high game that I really, really love being in. But frankly, I'm reluctant to sit down at it because in Florida now, and that's where I play a lot of my games, in Florida, many of the casinos, many of the card rooms have no top buy-in. So if your minimum buy-in, say for this particular pot limit game, Omaha game is 500, players sit down with five, six, ten thousand dollars and and by the time i go there they're they're huge and i'm feeling insecure about setting down but all of a sudden you have taught me a mind shift i love this because what you're saying is doesn't matter how much they have is that your effective stack is five hundred dollars when i sit down that's that's all that i can that i can deal with and they effectively has have five hundred dollars when i sit down wow what a mind shift that's great Thank you. Wow. Whew. That was that was super. I love it when I have an epiphany. That that's going to help me a lot with that game. Now, how do you measure your success as both a player 
and as a poker coach, Randy? That's an interesting question, and I think it's a question that poker players don't spend nearly enough time on. I think that most poker players immediately measure their success based on if they win or lose, because that seems logical. The problem with this is, if you play poorly and win, you tend to repeat the same actions thinking that you played well, whether Mm -hmm. you actually played well or not. And conversely, if you lose, you immediately think you must have done something wrong and played poorly. So short-term wins and losses do not necessarily indicate how well or poorly you're playing. I evaluate each of my poker sessions based on my decisions each step of the way. I review the mathematical basis for any situations I'm not sure about at the end of my session. I know that repeatedly making correct decisions will result in profitable results over the long term. And poker players are faced with many of the same situations over and over again. So if they consistently make correct decisions, they will see profitable results. So the bottom line is, poker is about making correct decisions over and over and over again. And as far as measuring my success as a poker coach, I really have to rely on feedback and observation. I truly love coaching. I work very hard at it. And I've learned to adapt to many different learning styles, and I customize my presentations to meet each individual's needs. So far, people have been pleased with what they've learned, and they often send me a, uh, they often send me referrals. So I guess I must be doing something right. Uh, I, I love that. And and if anyone wants to, if you want to hear more about Randy, it's PokerCoachRandy.WordPress.com, and Randy is R-A-N-D-I. And when you go to BigGirlPoker.com, on the page with the blog post where I'm going to post this podcast, I'll have a link to her site as well. Uh, Randy, is there a way that people can get more directly in touch with you? Uh On the website, there's a place for you to enter your email address, and that way you get notified of any upcoming events uh, that I offer. Some of them are locally in Las Vegas, but uh, some are available to people through virtual methods as well. There's also a contact uh, link on that website as well, and that's probably going to be your best way of getting in touch with me. Um, Feel free to look over that site. Um, If you're here in Vegas... You're all invited to any Wednesday to join us at the Wednesday Poker Discussion Group. If you contact me via email ahead of time, I'll be happy to give you the information about doing that. And uh, whatever method you choose to work on your game, whether you work with a coach like Donna or myself or you read books or you form a study group, just keep working on your game. The game's going to be evolving and changing, and uh, you definitely need to keep up with that. You're at, you are correct, 100%. Randy, what I want to say, I want to ask you one last question, one last tip. And this is something that I get consistently from from players all over the globe. What are your best tips for playing against hyper-aggressive players today? I don't recommend calling very often against these types of players unless you're trapping. And even then... Players that have a very high raising frequency, especially pre-flop, they won't have a hand strong enough that they can pay you off with when you do have a strong hand. 
So trying to play make a hand poker, especially out of position, will rarely be profitable against them. What you want to do is take the aggression away from them by raising or re-raising. Your other option, of course, is to fold. Aggressive players like to have the lead and don't like to be played back at. And unless they have a strong hand, they are often going to fold when faced with aggression, especially if you have aggression across multiple streets. Also, playing against aggressive players is a good place to play short stack poker because you will not be giving your aggressive opponents attractive implied odds to play against you. And so it's going to be very expensive for them to continue to try to out-aggressive you when you just don't have that many chips that they can win from you. And one other thing you want to keep in mind is that if you're in a location and there's more than one uh, game of the type that you're playing, if you're playing 1-2 and there's multiple 1-2 no-limit games, always keep in mind that you have a choice. You can change tables. And if in your if you're in a location like Las Vegas where there's multiple casinos, you can even change casinos. So you don't have to stay in that situation. You have choices. Uh, but just trying to call and make hands against them is not going to be very profitable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, Randy, what would you like to leave us with today? Well, i got to say that I've really enjoyed the topics that we've talked about. And the thing I want to leave everybody with is never stop learning and working on your game. But above all, don't do stupid stuff. (laughs) That's right. When I asked you what it was that you really believed in, you said, I think the biggest thing I teach is don't do stupid stuff. So I'm glad you're going to use that as your tagline, Randy. Thank you. This has been Randy Levenbaum as my guest today. What a fabulous podcast we've had. Thank you so much, Randy. This is Donna Blevins, your poker mindset coach and the big girl of poker. And this has been Big Girl Poker Chat. Till next time. Bye-bye.